Let me set the scene for you. I'm sitting in a dim conference room. It's a brand new, very shiny room. Tiers of curved tables are wrapped around the speaker. Outside in the main hall, the ceiling stretches four stories high above the full grown live trees whose roots stretch down through the floor. The occasional waterfall beats a steady rhythm. Does anybody know where I am? I know there's some UW Madison people here. I'm in the Institute for Discovery in Madison on the UW campus, a building that stands as a monument to the scientific spirit. spirit. At the UW Madison, where I'm finishing my last semester, you are constantly asked, what value are you going to bring to the world? What are you going to contribute? The plastic chair I'm sitting in has wheels and it rocks back and forth a little, the pinnacle of scientific achievement, perfect for my anxious body. In the flickering light of the presentation, I feel sleepy and numb and mad at myself. It's 2014 and I'm 25. At this Earth Day conference, the UW Sustainability Initiative is presenting. They've made small tweaks in the types of light bulbs and heating timers and waste management, and they've multiplied it across miles of campus buildings, added up to measurable gains in sustainability, tons of carbon, cubic yards of coal, numbers and graphs flash across the screen, quantifiable value contributed to the world. And all I can think is, I, I should have been a scientist. That's where the real work is. That's how you objectively quantify the value you bring to the world. I'm useless. I don't know how to do anything real. I'm almost graduated, finally, and all I do is write stuff. I am wasting my life. I walk out the door, skipping out on the final hours of this day-long conference. I sit under one of the indoor trees, waterfall plopping merrily behind me, and check my flip phone. I have a missed call and a voicemail. It's from the admissions officer at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, telling me that my application to seminary has been accepted with a hefty scholarship. There I was all caught up in what those around me were doing, what I was told was valuable, caught up in my own head telling me I wasn't doing the right things. And I was pulled out of that you're not worth anything funk by a literal call saying, nope, there's a lot you can do. Your skills are over in this direction, so head this way. It's not that research-based sustainability initiatives are bad, they're great. I am so glad that there are people working on that sort of thing, but it's entirely the wrong thing for me. I got that scholarship because people saw that seminary was indeed where I should be and they called me there. This is my literal call story. The disciples in the gospel today are also called very clearly. Jesus appears in the flesh, showers them in fish, calls them to follow him, and they do. They're told what to do, they know how to do it, and they do it. I'm curious, when I say calling, what do you think? And I want to hear you, so if you have access to the chat, write your thoughts in the chat and I'll read them all out. Just a few words. Or if you can't access the chat, you can just unmute and speak. What do you think of when you hear the word calling? 
a deep knowledge of what is right. Vocation, life purpose. Was that uh, Walden who said that? Your life's work, divine direction, no pressure. What makes you most satisfied? Anyone need to just speak instead of using the chat? Thank you all. All right. So I think we got some sense of this. A call, uh, calling is something that we are pushed or pulled to. For some people, a calling is lodged in the body, an insistent yearning that you feel. It's like a, a magnet in the chest, physically drawing us towards something that, um, we might not necessarily want to do, but feel like we need to do. The writer, teacher, Parker Palmer, talks about a calling as something I can't not do for reasons I'm unable to explain to anyone else and don't fully understand myself, but are nonetheless compelling. A calling also implies a caller, something bigger than ourselves calling us toward something. The caller makes contact with our heart and our mind and calls us to a vocation. We heard that word in the chat. Now, I have to add a rather substantial digression here, so I hope that you'll come with me. Um, because there's a big problem when we mix up attending to a calling with uh, following our passion or this Pinteresty do what you love, love what you do uh, idea that like art that you put on the walls on like barnwood. Many of us folks on the younger end of the spectrum and maybe more of us too, I don't wanna make any assumptions, but I at least grew up with the message that we should follow our passion. Do what you'll love and you'll never work a day in your life. This quote is uh, the internet attributes alternately to Confucius, Mark Twain, or most credibly, Steve Jobs. And this idea opens workers to exploitation. If your passion, I'm sorry, my dog just snored really loud right in the middle of that sentence. I don't know if you heard it or not. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, this opens workers to exploitation because if you're passionate about your job, then you won't mind working more for less pay. After all, you love it, right? You won't mind checking email from your bed first thing in the morning. You won't mind checking Slack from the bathroom, and you'll put up with unpaid internships and adjunct teaching positions, and you'll buy school supplies for your classroom out of your own paycheck. After all, this is what you were born to do, right? I read some articles by Mia Tokumitsu, um, Nonprofit Work 101. Uh-huh, yep, you, you love it, and so you'll, you'll keep doing it. Uh, Mia Tokumitsu has some really interesting writings and I'll, I'll post a link later to uh, the one of the essays that I wrote. She has a book called Do What You Love and Other Lies About Success and Happiness. And she writes, nothing makes exploitation go down easier than convincing workers that they are doing what they love. She says that do what you love, especially as Steve Jobs uh, uh, lauds it, it erases work by calling it passion. And it may be the most elegant anti-worker ideology around. After all, why should workers assemble and assert their class interests if there's no such thing as work? And then to take this even further, 
we tend to judge people who are doing jobs that we deem unlovable. The necessary but profoundly unsexy waste management technicians and night shift janitors. They must not have had the stamina or the brains to pursue their passion. They must be miserable, passionless zombie sellouts because how could they possibly take satisfaction in their job if that's not a calling? This judgment also exploits workers. So employment is not always, maybe even rarely, connected to calling. Work is work. Work that you're passionate about, that you love, is still work. And sometimes we do work regardless of passion. And that is okay. All right, coming back to our discussion of calling. Something the caller pushes or pulls us toward. Once I got to seminary, we, we talked a lot about the difference between uh, an inner and an outer call. Uh, it's kind of like a belly button, everyone has one, but are you an innie or an outie? An inner call is an internal felt sense, so it's something personal. And, and an outer call is external, coming from someone or something around you in the world. That call story that I shared is a solid outer call. And my inner monologue, in fact, was directly contradicting what other people were telling me that they saw in me. And I was frustrated because I wasn't even sure I had ever felt that personal emotional depth of call that some of my seminary peers seemed to, the ones who like knew that they were gonna go to seminary their entire lives. Sometimes I felt like I was at seminary by accident or because other people told me that I should go. I resented those people who seemed so in touch with the cosmos that they had some kind of internal call compass. I thought they were making it up and I found them annoying. And of course, because I'm me, I started agonizing that my outer call was not a legitimate or real call. Sure, none of you have ever experienced this. Some readers make a really big deal in the of the readers of the gospel text uh, over the fact that the fishermen know nothing about Jesus, that they drop everything and follow him in this sudden miraculous obedience. But Jesus is sitting in the boat for hours next to the fishermen while he teaches the crowds. They listen to him for hours painting a picture about how the world will be turned upside down, of a life where all will have enough, where all are fed in body and spirit, where there is justice and closeness with God. And then he calls forth this huge abundance of fish, so much food, a wealth that swamps the boats. Fishermen, to this day, are people who throw nets into the sea on blind faith, that they will catch something they cannot see. They are practiced in trusting what they don't fully understand and committing to their choices. They are practiced in calling out to God, in asking for God's provision and presence. So the fishermen see something in the story Jesus tells, in the abundance that he provides, and it brings them alive. It shows them something that they want desperately, and they just go for it. They drop their nets, casting their luck upon Jesus, and they go. There is no one way to be called. It might be dramatic, but it probably won't be. It might be super clear, but it usually will be murky. It might be 
a vocation might lead to a vocation that pays you, but it's not that likely. And you won't be called one time in your whole life in one big way to one thing. Calling can come at any moment and every moment. Unlike a belly button, you're not limited to being an innie or an outie. The inner and outer call will weave together with the voices of others suggesting and affirming and reaffirming what you're hearing from God and from your own heart. And you will receive challenges from inner voices and outer voices that make you question and tweak and sharpen your call. There's no right way to receive a call. The important thing is being available to what is going on in the world, in our relationships with God, in our own lives and hearts, in our relationships with other people, with non-human animals, with non-animal living things in the world, and noticing and being attentive so that we can respond when we do hear a call. There's a quote attributed to Howard Thurman. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. The world needs people, people who have come alive. What makes you come alive? I like thinking about calling in these terms. It's a way of orienting our lives and staying attentive to the sparks of energy and joy, noticing the moments of deepest aliveness in our bodies and our minds and our communities, following brightness and depth of life as a way of hearing and tending our calling from God. So what makes you want to be alive? How can you shape your life to find more of those moments? How can you share those moments with others? Let's take a minute and answer that question in the chat, or you can speak it aloud if you can't access the chat. What makes you come alive? For me, it's um, writing and going through editing process and writing groups and finally like finishing, finishing something and then it can go out into the world. That's what makes me come alive. What makes you come alive? Stories. Teaching, prayer, anti-racism education. Hallelujah. Making music. Drumming. Dancing. I, I editorialized. Teaching brand new medical students, singing and writing, singing together. So my prayer for all of us today and moving forward is not that we find our passion, not that we figure out our calling. I pray that we can learn to attend to the energies of our bodies and our communities, learning to notice and trust those moments so saturated with life 
In the words of the psalmist, I pray that God will increase our strength of soul. In the translation that was read, I think it was, uh, may God make our life strong with faith. I think that was that, was that accurate? So yeah, make, may God make our life strong to seek out, create and share that depth of life with those around us. Amen and amen.